Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. afternoon whenever you happen to be listening and welcome to the reaction uh, presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me as per usual, the down since day one co-host, Tony Acero. What up? And making her return to the podcast proving you can come home again, the co-hostess with the mostest, Miss Liz Puglisi. That was your cue, Liz. <laughs> Apparently, Liz is having technical difficulties at the present moment. She said, yeah, Never my, mind. Mute, my mute button keeps like turning itself on. Well, tell your mute button to knock it the fuck off so you can come back to the podcast. Hi, Liz. Hello. Hello, hello. All right, so unfortunately, as you all know, if you're listening to this on the 24th or any time shortly thereafter, there was a takeover this past Saturday night. However, both the co-hostess and 
the down since day one were unable to watch it. Liz had a prior family obligation. Tony had to work. You know, running a bar is serious business. Plus, he's going to make more money running the bar than he is watching TakeOver, I'm assuming. Hence why he ducked out of going Dynamite this past Saturday as well. Speaking of which, a quick shout-out to Kevin Pantoja for covering for you for Dynamite, right? I don't know who covered for me, but thanks. Was either Kevin Pantoja or it was Robert Lighty Jr.? One or the other. There it's over on 411mania.com backslash wrestling. So, so I'll give you guys quick thoughts on TakeOver at the end of the show once these two have gone their separate ways. Tony was working at the bar on Sunday as well, which means he has not seen SummerSlam yet, or at least he hasn't seen most of the show. I'd imagine he's maybe seen a match or two here from there. Yeah, I read it. Um, glanced at a few results. Kind of got the gist of what went down. And All obviously right, so the follow-up Liz, on Raw was there. So me and Liz will discuss our thoughts on SummerSlam. We will give you a final reaction on SummerSlam. If Tony wishes to, he has time to watch SummerSlam during the course of this week he can give his final reaction for SummerSlam next week here on the podcast. With that being said, usually we skip the, post, the pre-pay-per-view SmackDown when we have a pay-per-view here. However, this one had a couple of important developments, and I wanted to discuss them with both the Dallas Day One co-host and the co-hostess with the mostest. So we're going to go back to SmackDown for a couple of quick hits here. You guys ready? All set. All right. All right, Tony. So I know that we've been kind of talking retribution actions thus far. For the first time, we've actually saw them get full-on physical with members of the roster this past Friday night on SmackDown, and it got to the point where there was a full-ring brawl between the SmackDown locker room and retribution, even to the point that Dana Brooke made an appearance, as you so convincingly pointed out in the SmackDown report. I want to get your honest (laughs) thoughts here. What what did you think about the the way that Retribution and the SmackDown locker room were facing off like such and the fact that Retribution got sent scurrying in the first face-to-face confrontation in the ring with the main locker room? I've got zero interest in Retribution. It has not wavered at all. Um, I think it was dead upon arrival, to be honest with you. Um, just It's just being done – it's not being done well. Uh, and, of course, today it, – it's or not today, but on SmackDown, it's hard to say, like, oh, they shouldn't be ran off or they should be believed to be a threat. But realistically, what we don't know what they're selling us right now. We have no idea what we're supposed to take from this other than that they know where the light switches are. And well, what does that mean to me? All you're doing is annoying me. That's, that's it. And I don't care how much rallying the roster does, they're not a threat. The most that they've done is destroy property which is funny considering tonight they didn't even attempt to destroy this brand-new state-of-the-art set. So, yeah, I'm just not – I'm not interested at all. Liz, do you think that the interest level in retribution increases once we start showing who the members actually are? Um, Yes and no. I think the fans will – depending on who's in it, of course, especially with the fans – it, even especially with the internet fans, the Twitter fans, if it's somebody, one person that they don't like, the whole thing will be canceled. But you know, a lot of people I know are like hoping it's Punk or someone, someone like that. So depending <laughs> on, I know, right? Depending, please, depending on who the leader is and what the actual you know reason given, I think it can be very fifty-fifty. I don't mind it. I mean, it's obviously something that we've seen before and. 
you know, some form or whatever. Um, it's not the first group that's rallied both sides of the locker room together. Very but similar think, to, real quick, very similar, and Tony and I were talking about this in your absence, very similar to how Nexus debuted when they destroyed Ringside. Yes, that's the first thing that I thought of um, as well. But depending on who's in it, yeah, and I think I think I think once they start revealing who's in it, it'll be a very mixed bag. Because there's always going to be a large population of fans that are disappointed it's not, you know, some random person. You know, of their it, it, it's it's funny that you say that, Liz, because I made a bold prediction when I did the uh, shout out to Clint Domingue. I sat in on the Cajun Strong Style podcast and did a preview for NXT Takeover this past week. You guys can check that out on uh, 103.7 The Game, Lafayette, Louisiana's website, in addition to searching for Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Clint's also a part of the Fantasy Wrestling League with us. And um, we were talking about Retribution, and one of the names that you mentioned, Liz, was one of my bold predictions. I honestly think that the leader of Retribution is going to end up being CM Punk. I wouldn't wouldn't mind it. it. It would be interesting. It would be kind of, I guess decent or, or cool way, for lack of a better term, to, to bring them back. Um, I think if they wanted to work, they need a punk. They need some. And when I say a punk, they need somebody that somebody can at that level. Like, yeah, they need somebody at that level. They need somebody that can talk. It's not just, not just somebody that can you know beat people up. They can all beat people up. You know. Tony, you started to chime in when I said that. What do you have to add? Oh, I mean, I already laughed at that. I don't want to laugh at you again, but there's no way in hell it's CM Punk. Um, he wouldn't touch this storyline with a any type of pole, let alone a you know ten foot one. Um, I don't well, want to me... speak for the guy, but I doubt that he has. I doubt that he thinks this is a good idea at all because it's not. Well, let me it's ask not you totally this: done. What if Punk coming back means AJ Lee comes back? Are you okay with Punk being the leader of Retribution? <laughs> Um, no, real it's quick, a, it's, it's it's definitely not punk, and it just it wouldn't make sense for him to be for it to be punk. It, this is a situation where, and I've, we've talked about this before. You can't be under the umbrella and talk about the umbrella that you're under. They're they're not good enough to do that. They're not smart enough. We've seen it with Invasion. We've seen it with ECW. We've seen it countless times. We've seen Core and Nexus. You can't hate the establishment when you're underneath the establishment. They're, they're not smart enough to do it well. I would argue, though, that Punk was disenfranchised with the WWE before being disenfranchised was the cool thing to be. But you're defending something that hasn't happened yet. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. I am fantasy booking here a little bit, but that's kind of what I do on this show. Isn't that right, AJ? Aw, put in. Hey, babe. You know how hard it was to type Lee in the report tonight without crying? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, so speaking of people who had a bad night on SmackDown, Tony, um, it's a good thing Dana got to show herself at ringside during that brawl because she got the absolute shit slapped out of her by Sonya. I think I saw Botox fly. <laughs> that was not a working slap. In all sincerity, though, the other two things that I wanted to talk about from SmackDown were beat the clock. And yet again, the rift between, between Bailey and Sasha continues, Tony, as this time it, 
Sasha defeats Naomi in a beat the clock challenge match in three minutes and 39 seconds with the bank statement. And that, and Naomi tests out. Bailey jumps into the ring to go onto the attack on Naomi immediately afterwards, but the referee forces her back before starting the match. I use Tony's words from the, his SmackDown review available. Where, Tony? Uh, 411mania.com. Bailey eats the rear view like a champ, all innuendo intended. <laughs> and Naomi oh. pins Bailey in order to make Bailey have to defend first at SummerSlam while Sasha laughs at ringside. We see a further expansion of the split at SummerSlam itself. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. And then even to an extent, we see a little bit further of a split tonight in the Lumberjill match for the Raw Women's title. Tony, are they going to be able to stretch this all the way to WrestleMania, or are we going to see this somewhere around Survivor Series at this point? Oh, yeah, it's going to happen real soon. I would love for them to be able to stretch it, and they're, it's cap- capable of doing so. Um, it's been a while since I brought the guy up, and I don't know his name. You might know more than I would, but the man who used to um, create um, storylines with storyboards, uh, realistically, this Chris is Kresge. one of those matches. Yeah, this is made for that, you know? Barring injury or any craziness that may happen, you storyboard this bad boy out over the course of you, however many weeks it's going to take to get to WrestleMania, and you have compelling television that writes itself. You know, the girls will handle the rest. Um, I I would I would assume that a lot of people are excited about the them to you know eventually locking horns, and they've done a relatively good job with a few hiccups, but I don't want to get nitpicky with Sasha involved. Um, in keeping the interest going. So, you know, just I think that they could stretch it out, but to also answer your question, they're definitely not going to. Liz, same question. Do you think it's viable at this rate with the burn having it fully focused as it is that they're going to be able to take this all the way to WrestleMania next year? Considering the fact that the two are actually um, quite close in real life, I can see them being able to stretch it out like Tony said. Will they? Who knows? I'll play devil's advocate and say, say that, yes, they can with, you know, stretches of them fighting but no big match and reconciling like friends do. We all, <coughs> excuse me, we all fight and um, make up. Um, honestly, I was never a huge Sasha fan until she came back and, um, maybe brainwashed by Tony from when I was podcasting with you guys. But I just, I'm waiting for it. I'm eager for the payoff. I hope they don't rush it. I don't think they will. Um, I'm eager for the payoff because I just really want to see Sasha beat the crap out of Bailey. I feel like it's coming, and I feel like it's going to be amazing. So I want them to drag it out because I want that intensity. So you're saying Sasha ends up the baby face once the split does happen. Why does she have to be a baby face to beat up Bailey? She can be. Uh, I don't care who's a baby face. I don't care who's a baby face, who's a heel. I don't care if they're both in, in between. I just want Sasha to beat the crap out of Bailey. <laughs> I feel like he just earned a few extra points in Tony Cook. Who do you um, Who do you think would be the better suited as a heel and a face in that match, Harry? Oh, absolutely. You go with the NXT format there. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand the idea of wanting to mix it up from NXT, but the NXT formula works so well for them that I think that Sasha is such a natural heel, heel with her character 
And I think that despite the fact that she's actually been doing a very good job as a heel on the main roster, Bailey's charisma makes her a natural baby face. I will give them credit if they attempt to reverse the heel baby face role so when the match eventually does happen. But personally, I preferred how they were in NXT just because I think it was a more natural fit for both ladies. Yeah, I get that. I think I would allow Bailey to be the heel because kind of, kind of in a way she deserved it. You know, she's, she's busted her ass to create this character and um, I think she's loving it and I think she's doing a really good job. So I wouldn't mind it, but um yeah, it's it's going to happen before Mania. I'm kind of bummed, too, because I think these girls can go all the way. Also, having them go one-on-one with one another gives a lot of room for other women to do something else. Um, actually opens up the possibility – actually opens up the possibilities to use the titles for more than one storyline, you mean? Well, yeah. <laughs> God forbid. It's not that difficult. I like Bailey. I like – I I won't say I like Sasha because that would be a, that would be a lie. She's grown on me in her time back. She's not as offensive to me as certain other members of the women's roster are. Charlotte. <laughs> Sorry. Got to get that got to get that checked. That well, being we'll said, I be soon. That being said, I do think that it's time to move on and let the belts move on to other players in order to put more women in the division in focus, specifically a couple of the women that we saw in the six-woman tag match tonight on Raw, because I think there's potential for two of the women in that match to be breakout stars. We'll get to Raw a little bit later. Let's close up SmackDown, Liz, with this. The actual main event, not counting the Strowman-Wyatt bullshit at the end, was... Jeff Hardy challenging AJ Styles for the Intercontinental title. During the Retribution brawl, AJ Styles sneak attacked Hardy and kicked him in the back of the kneecap, which I actually like. I thought that that played perfectly to Styles' slimeball character. Hardy ends up having to wear a knee brace for the match, and it comes back to bite AJ Styles as when Styles goes for the Styles clash, Hardy kicks him in the head with the knee with the brace, knocking Styles loopy enough for Hardy to hit the twist of fate and then the sauntaun to win his fifth Intercontinental Championship. I ask you this, Liz. A, is this a long-term ring for Jeff Hardy? B, are you okay with them putting the belt on Hardy when Styles is on just a hot streak? Is it a long-term, is it going to be a long run? No idea. I don't think you can ever say that any, I don't think anybody really, I didn't expect Bailey to have the belt for like 300,000 days, whatever the heck she has for now. So I'm I'm never good at answering those questions. I always think that everybody's going to lose it, you know, within like three, four weeks. Um, I can see it being a long run. I can see the two of them going back and forth. I can see the two of them hot potatoing it. Um, I think AJ can handle a loss. AJ's always been able to handle a loss. Um, you know, he tell, always tells pretty good stories. He always has the intensity. I don't think anybody was shocked that it was that Jeff won. Um, it was clearly written on the wall since he since he came back. I think it's just and it could be a couple of things. It could be you know them like, well, you have the other Hardy. You know, we're gonna showcase our Hardy. I can definitely see that being part of it. But I think it's also you know just putting some faith in, in, in Jeff. I, I, I've always liked Jeff, Jeff as a champion. Um, how long is it going to be? Who knows? I, they probably don't even know. could change tomorrow for all we know. I would like to see him get a decent run um, and go against somebody else 
and then, you know, AJ keeps coming back in the picture. Tony, I'll ask you the same two questions. Do you think it's a long run for Hardy? And are you okay with him hanging a loss on Styles while he's had such a peak performance level right now? Um, kind of tough. I mean, I, I, I will admit that it, it was um, – it's like a well-written win over the course of a single episode because it didn't really – you didn't do anything crazy. You let it take its time. You, you hurt his leg, blah, blah, blah. But it just – they attached it to someone that I really didn't have any interest in seeing win the IC title, especially on an episode of SmackDown. It's just a weird time period right now where we continue to say over the course of at least six years that, you know, they're not doing it right. And these are meant for pay-per-view title matches and feuds are supposed to end on the big ones and blah, blah, blah. When we really haven't seen that in a very long time. (laughs) So I don't know where our conditioning has come. Maybe it's like, you know, when we were younger, maybe it's hoping for something, you know, a little better, or maybe that's just how we would do it. Um, I'm not saying it's not happened. I'm not saying, I'm just saying it's no longer the norm, but at the same time, it just, I don't know why it just diminishes the win for me completely. Um, I'm not really interested in the Jeff Hardy that we see today. I, I, I don't care about the redemption story. I don't really care that he's defeated his demons. It has never been my interest, whether he had his demons or not. I, I don't, I don't want to see him stumbling and falling in the ring next to Sting, and I don't want to see him overcoming the odds in a barroom brawl with Sheamus. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think he needs to find another fold to his customer, or to his character, sorry. Not to mention Tony against anything that involves bar abuse. <laughs> I feel like as a restaurant, not necessarily a proprietor, but at least an operator at this point, I feel like that barroom brawl made you a little sad inside. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, we talked about that match. It wasn't a bad match, barring the random-ass ending of him yes, overcoming his <laughs> Yeah, going full wide-eyed. And then, of course, that never comes up again, you know? So, I just – I'm hoping that the rumors are true, and you know how little I listen to rumors. I'm hoping that the rumors are true that Bruce is trying to give up the book for one of the shows. Because I understand how you could be stretched thin creatively. But you also have to understand how many writers are on that staff. It's, it's, we, we can talk for hours. Let's get back to the show. All right, let's move on here. Let's give a final score for SmackDown itself there. Liz, what did you think? Scale of 1 to 10? It wasn't anything. No. So totally, you know, we have to go watch that out. I'll give it a nice round. Seven, but leading into a pay-per-view. I'm slightly lower than you at a six and a half. We already discussed my issues with the Thunderdome, and they were back in full force tonight. We'll talk about that when we get to Raw. I thought I thought SummerSlam actually handled it a lot better than both SmackDown and Raw did. We'll talk about that, like I said, in a few moments here. But overall, I thought that the matches were pretty good on SmackDown. I thought that they actually told two full length of the episode stories, which I appreciate because you know I always appreciate the, uh, and I know Tony, as a writer, you appreciate uh, distant storytelling, at least trying to keep a recurring theme throughout an episode. We've talked about that many times on the show before. So I'm at a six and a half, just slightly lower than Liz, but it wasn't a bad episode, especially for a first launch inside of their new setting in their new arena for the uh, time being. At least. Tony, what did you score SmackDown at? Um, my report says that I scored it a seven, and I don't think I'm going to go back on 
Um, I think I had solid reasoning, and it kind of falls in line with the old uh, Harry adage of, you know, the in-ring um, standard being set and being a bit more important than, you know, what we see outside, because SmackDown had some pretty good wrestling, um, at least better than we've seen over the past few weeks uh, from the WWE. So I think that's what I was most impressed about, that we had some time, some good matches. Um, Sheamus versus Big E was relatively good. And it wasn't so overbearing to where we wouldn't want to see it again. Um, and, Just with I the mean, better Sonya, finish? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Sonya Deville killed it. She continues to know, to be fully aware of who she, her character is and who she wants it to be and how it's portrayed, even if and when she goes a little bit off the rails. It's like, it's, it's, um, there's four, it's a reason. You know, she's trying to show us who her character is. So I, I think I'll sit still with the seven. Um let that be the rating. After six years of doing this podcast, I'm finally starting to rub off on Tony a little bit. I mean, I've always enjoyed good wrestling. I think maybe it's AEW that's rubbing off more than you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Give something else credit like a jackass. Thanks, Tony. All right, you go mm-hmm. ahead and sit this one out. Me and Liz are going to talk SummerSlam. Cool. All right, so while Tony takes a break and gets some food because he's been doing the Raw Report all night and probably hasn't eaten yet. Uh, this past Sunday, we went back into the Thunderdome for the SummerSlam pay-per-view, the biggest party of the summer in front of, well, I guess the televised audience of a couple hundred, at least, Liz. I don't mind the Thunderdome. Okay, we might as well get to it now. I thought SummerSlam was better than SmackDown, and I thought it was way better than Raw, because with Raw and SmackDown, I think there was too much added in audio. Like the, you know, the crowd simmering sound, that the sound that you had in the background for everything there, I can't fucking stand that. It sounds so generic. It it does sound generic, but I think if you focus, this is just me, and I'm not aiming this just at you, because I had a lot of back and forth. I've seen a lot of back and forth um, about this on in various groups and everything, in social media. I think if you're focusing on it you're going to hear it more. I heard it more tonight on Raw than I did on SummerSlam and SmackDown. On SmackDown, until until I saw somebody say it, I I didn't even note it. I don't know if that's something about doing my hearing or I I was distracted. It it didn't bother me. And I actually thought that whoever was um, working it, they had their, you know, the tuned in, the fake reactions, whatever you want to call them, you know, were pretty appropriate, the cheers, the booze, the whatever. I think at some point that got a little bit away, you know, here and there throughout the, throughout the three shows. But for me, I mean, even when I, I mean, it is completely me because even during a normal show with a live audience, lots of times I'm able to tune out um, the audience. I could always be constantly like, oh, wait, what are they saying? What are they saying? So it, it might just be on me, but I don't think the, the noise is so overbearing. I mean, everybody's going to have a different opinion on that. It was definitely louder, I think, tonight on Roar, because I honestly didn't even notice it on SmackDown until somebody said it. Like, I think that's going to be one of the places where I prefer the Performance Center shows, just because the natural reaction of the NXT performers to what's going on at the Performance Center seem to do more for me in terms of enjoyment factors than the piped-in reactions that we're getting from Kevin Dunn and friends in production. I think I think part of it on SmackDown was that, I guess, the instructions will, you know, I get, I get now people are complaining. Let me back up. I'm sorry. So I think now on for 
Survivor Survivor Series, SummerSlam and Raw, they gave them instructions to like react as if you were in you know, in the stands. So you see them with the thumbs up and the thumbs down. So it's a little bit more you're you're focusing on them because you see them you see the movement um, of the people in their little screens. But again, I don't find it so you know so so distracting. I like it. I think it gives a, a larger feel to it. I after I enjoyed the performance on certain ones where they didn't have anybody in them. So, I mean, I, I've never had an issue with any of the progression or any of the way they've done it um, since the whole pandemic. But, you know, the um, even w- without any, you have the, um, the, the, the trainees, whatever you want to call them, in the PC, it felt like very small. It was like super, super quiet. I did like having the people there kind of gave it an old school, you know, wrestling in the high school gym type of thing feel to it and the people, you know, interacting, whatever. That was cool. That brought it up a level. But it, after a while, it was starting to feel like very small and very closed in. I mean, maybe the lights or whatever, the way it is, it's a bigger arena, obviously, kind of opens it up and gives it a grander um, scale that they definitely need. I think if people, and again, not just you, don't focus so much on the background, it won't be as annoying as some some find it. I'm willing to give it an opportunity and see how it progresses going forward. But I think that's the biggest thing for me as a longtime viewer of professional wrestling is I miss the ambiance. I miss the environment of professional wrestling more so than I miss the actual fans, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because a lot, of those fans, a lot of those fans can annoy the shit out of you. I would know Absolutely. I'm one of them. Amen. Go eat, go eat your soup, Tony. No one asked you. Hold on. Did you guys see who was on Raw tonight? Oh, don't start that. No, we're not meant. See, this right here is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> Hold on. I have to cue music in order to drown out Tony's music. All right. I think, I think he left again. Anyway. Um, favorite match or moment from SummerSlam, Liz? Oh, God. Favorite match f- favorite match and moment from SummerSlam? Um, match or moment? Fav- oh, match or moment. All right, I'm going to have to go with... Okay, let me think. I, do I really want to go with the obvious? Give me ten, two seconds to run through them. do, 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 do. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll have to. I'll have to. I mean, I'm thrilled Drew retained, of course. Um, I I'm gonna have to go with Roman returning. Um, I know there'll be weeks and weeks and weeks of talk of oh my god, Roman, you know, whatever you can say what you want, but a few suspected it. I mean, I think a couple of people, a lot of people were feeling he'd be coming back of it, you know, sooner rather than later. But it did have that moment where love him or hate him, you did sort of, for lack of a better term. You know, pop. I know I jumped up and was like, "Oh my god!" I did the whole fangirl thing. I'm not gonna, what? I'm not gonna lie. So, and what? I mean, if if his return means Braun Strowman's out of the main event, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Seriously, fuck that guy. Anyway, um, I'm gonna go with Oscar and Bailey. I thought those two had a killer match. Mm-hmm. I thought Oscar. I thought Oscar and Sasha was solid, but you could definitely tell that the wrestling twice kind of took its toll on Oscar throughout the course of the two matches. 
With that being said, Oscar and Bailey had a banger of a match, and not to mention those two have really good chemistry together. And I appreciated the fact that Michael Cole and Corey Graves actually talked about Oscar and Bailey's history against each other in NXT as well. It's one of the few times where they bring up the continuity of NXT onto the main roster, and it made perfect sense there, given the fact that throughout the entire time that they faced each other, Oscar's had Bailey's number, except for when it mattered at SummerSlam, and that Sasha was able to help Bailey retain. That was, I mean, if I had been able to pick both moment and match, that would have been the best match. That was definitely the best match of the show. What about your Greg Watchery for the show, Liz? Your least favorite match or moment? My least favorite match or moment. Um, If you need a few seconds to think about it, I can give you mine. Yeah, give me yours. The main event was awful. It sucked. It was Walk and Brawl 2020, coming soon to EA Sports. It was yeah. just like an Attitude Era main event where they just walked around the arena trading punches and big moves, and nothing really fucking happened. And that's basically been the entire story of Braun Strowman's title reign. Nothing really fucking happening. I don't, I don't, need, I don't mean to harp on the poor guy. And I don't even mean the poor guy either, because frankly, he's an asshole. And... Long-time listeners of the show know why I feel the way I feel about Strowman. That being said, his title matches over on SmackDown have been some of the most boring championship matches we've seen since the days of Bobby Roode in NXT. And Roode at least had a really cool entrance. Strowman has a fucking train. Yippee. You know, yeah, now I paused because I was trying to think – I was trying to make sure I remembered all of the ma- all of the matches, um, and I don't always want to feel like uh, you know I'm so obvious in my in my choices like with, with Roman, but that definitely was. There's no it, there's no chemistry um, even with their Wyatt family history. There's no chemistry with them. I was never a Braun fan. Your issues with Braun are a whole other thing, which we've discussed, and I completely you know understand and I get exactly where you're coming from with that. But for me, I was never a Braun fan. Um, I never got into his matches. I never got into his character. The most exciting thing about Braun on SummerSlam was the fact that he finally got new pants and a vest. Because I've long hated his gear, which means absolutely nothing, but I just hated them. Um, I've never thought he had, like, any match that you talked about or that you went back and watched or that you recommended somebody else watch. I think he completely went downhill with the whole Alexa thing and that stupid thing that they were doing with the where they were tagging up random men and random women for some reason. I hated that. But yeah, see, um I actually loved them as a tag team and I thought that they had amazing chemistry together. But in fairness, the long time listeners of the show know that I love pretty much anything Alexa Bliss related. No, they did. They did have great chemistry. I believe they're actual friends, which I always feel and probably does, you know, helps. But you had him built up as, you know, he's this monster and da-da-da, and then you put him into this comedy, pseudo relationship, you know, type thing, and I think that killed any, you know, monster thing. And love him and hate him, what, what Roman said, or they had Roman said, or he said on his own, whatever, that you're not a monster without him, it's kind of true. And not just, you know, with Roman. Braun 
if, in my opinion, and I don't have the background or the education in wrestling that you and Tony have. In my opinion, Braun has always talked. He's not charismatic. His matches are always very cum- cumbersome. So, I mean, that's one reason I hesitated because I feel like I'm always going to go with the obvious of, you know, okay, I'm choosing Braun again or or whatever. But it definitely was a lackluster match. But the whole thing, uh, I mean, we all know that he's basically his champ because Roman, you know, bowed out. Um, and that leads into a whole other thing with the other pay-per-view, you know, coming up. But Bray's, out of the three of them, Bray is definitely one that's the one that should carry the belt for a while, you know, in my opinion, but that's a whole other topic. But I'm right there with you about, it, you know, everything you said. I can never say it as well as you and you and Tony Tony do, but I have long, more personal issues. Any Like, you know, what do you feel about Braun because of what happened there? Absolutely understandable, but in a TV character wrestling, you know, sort of way, I never bought into him. I got so sick of hearing, you're going to get these hands. You know, as in terms of catchphrases, I just got dumber than, you know, anything after a while. That does remind me. Tony, the best part of SmackDown, get these hooves. <laughs> just saying. By the way, I don't know if it was just me or if any of the listeners at home, but as soon as she said that Braun Strowman's matches were cumbersome, I immediately started humming Seven Mary Three. I clearly have a cl- I clearly have a uh, grunge walk addiction. Anywho, moving back to SummerSlam itself here. Uh, overall show rating, ladies, scale of 1 to 10. The SummerSlam rating? Um, yes. So sorry, it faded out for a second. I actually enjoyed it. So I thought overall it kept my attention. Um, there were, I mean, that was the worst match. There weren't that many matches. Usually, you know, you're so used to them still being jam-packed. That was definitely the worst match. Every other match was really good. I can't fault them, but again, I don't look at them in the same way you and Tony, you know, do. I don't notice every mistake. I just look at them like, did I enjoy this or did I not enjoy it? I enjoyed the show overall. Um, I actually pretty much enjoyed almost all the pay-per-views since the pandemic, but I know I'm in the minority there. I'm going to give it a nice round eight because I I actually even watched the pre-show, which I never do, Um, and I I enjoyed it from top to bottom, so, or bottom to top or whatever. So I'm going to give it a nice solid eight. I'm just slightly behind you once again at a seven and a half. I thought that by and large, the show was really good. The ending moment with Roman's return, while professionally I may have never, I may not be the biggest Roman Reigns fan. Personally, I am happy to see him back doing what he loves to do. But the main event drug it down from anything higher for me. I, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of Bray Wyatt's. I've been a fan of Bray Wyatt's going all the way back to the Wyatt family because me and Tony started the show right around the time that the Wyatt family broke out on WWE television. So Wyatt holds a special place for me because he's been here for pretty much the entire run of the show. That being said, the Fiend matches are all very similar. They're finisher fests. They're mm-hmm. '90s Attitude Era main events. There's no selling. There's rarely a story. It's just who can hit the biggest move last in order to get the pinfall. Or who can win, can Bray catch whomever he's facing in the mandible claw for the submission. Those kind of matches don't always resonate with me. And this one didn't. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that I have a, I have a professional distaste for one of the participants, and I have a personal distaste for the other. 
understandable. So overall, overall, I thought it was a good show, but the main event was very lackluster. Mm-hmm. Who's your MVP for SummerSlam, Liz? Oscar. I wanted to give it to Oscar, but there's somebody we didn't talk about that I think deserves just as much credit. Who? I thought Dominic Mysterio killed it last night. Yeah. Okay, he's my co one. Like, with all due with- respect to with all due respect to the storyline, I know the match ran a little long for some people, and that's a matter of opinion. I get enveloped into the story throughout the course of a wrestling match. And I thought that the Seth Rollins and Dominic Mysterio match was pro wrestling 101. You bait them in, you hook them with an angle, and then you deliver something for people to talk about. I like the fact that they showed Angie constantly throughout the course of the match because it, te- it gave away that she was going to get involved towards the finish. That being mm-hmm. said, I think making her watch and having Ray handcuffed and watching while Dominic ate the curb stomp was pro wrestling storytelling 101. So before we move on, um, I'd like to add, I'll make it quick. I'd like to add something. Everybody who knows me knows that I can't stand Ray Mysterio. Never have, <laughs> never will. going to do a whole podcast on why one day, right? We already have, actually. It's available in the archives here on The Reaction. <laughs> I know. So we can do part two. This storyline, I've actually, you know, I he'll never turn me around on him like Sasha did. I'll say that, okay? But this storyline, I and I usually hate, I've always gone on record saying I hate family storylines. I remember the whole Eddie Ray, who's the daddy thing. I hated that. Right, I, I I don't even like when people mention it because it aggravates me. But I've enjoyed. This you're really not going to like I what I just sent you. Okay, I do, you know I've enjoyed this storyline. I think it showed you a different um, side of Ray, which of course it would. But I enjoyed this match completely. I mean, I was obviously rooting, you know, for Seth being the Seth fan girl that I am. But Dominic, I even tweeted about it, which I don't really tweet during the pay per views. Dominic brought it. Dominic was great. Dominic is my favorite Mysterio. I will follow his career completely and root for him in a way I will never root for his father. Well, that's because he's not actually a Mysterio. He's a Guerrero. No, don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, do you like the picture I just sent you? Yeah, I mentioned something in the Raw Report uh, comment section that I'm not 100% how to describe quite yet, but I'm, I wanted to bring it up here because I'm thinking maybe one of you two can hammer home what I'm trying to say. Um, <clears throat> when Angie came out, this is one of the matches that I actually kind of watched a, at least a little bit. She was wearing a Louis Vuitton shirt, and she looked like she was made of, like, thousands of dollars. And for whatever reason, this really, really was the only complaint that I had about the match. That whole her coming out really bugged me. Like, I don't know, maybe I just can't feel sorry for someone wearing a $1,000 outfit, but I was like, mm, I don't like that. <laughs> okay, so you're uh, – sorry, Liz, uh, didn't mean to cut you off there, but my guess is – so your complaint was that Angie was too bougie? Yeah, a little bit. You just kind of got – you get the impression from Ray that he's all about the family and that, you know, this is for the pride of, you know, everything. And then she comes out and she's like, you know, she's got money. And it's like, you know what, Seth, go ahead. <laughs> so, I'm going to say this, and I'll try to keep it very brief, and I don't mean this 
I'm going to preface this. I don't mean this in any offensive way at all. When I, when Angie, when they first came out, Angie's a very beautiful woman, first of all, and I had never really seen his wife before because I don't look at them, look the bother look them up. Um, she's very striking, but when she first came out, he did notice the shirt. You can't help but notice the logo on the shirt. I loved it. I was like, you know what? That is the way a New York, and I don't know where she's from. I'm just throwing out the New York part of it. I know they're not from here. A New York Latina mother would come out when she's pissed off. She was put together. She looked fierce. She looked like she will go in the ring and beat the crap out of um, Seth and Buddy and her husband, if necessary, because her husband got her son into this bullshit, right? And if she knows her son wants to do this, he wants to follow in his father and grandfather and whoever else is, you know, the other father, you know, footsteps, whatever. I don't know. I don't care. So whoever wants to follow in their footsteps, and he's been training, you know, he's been training for years, but his father got him into this shit, and if something happens to her son, the next big main event is going to be Angie killing her husband. That was the look she was going for, and that was the look she got. It didn't bother me that she came out, because that's how I was reading it. Like, Ray is going to be killed if something really bad happens to her son. That's, that's the well, woman's you got your answer. perspective of it. <laughs> Something something only a woman would know. See, this is why it helps to have her back on the show, because she provides a perspective (laughs) that, frankly, the two of us can't. Yeah, I really just, I just thought, like, what it did, it kind of removed the whole familial feel from it. But her going out there really was the face that you made. You're 100% right. Um, That I felt. But just, I guess it's just a choice. Like, because when I saw her today, like, okay, see, I like that. It didn't, it wasn't like a call to attention. But thanks, Liz. You're welcome. I actually thought before we move on, I don't mean to keep dragging it out. I actually thought that she was gonna like throw in the towel or something when she went out. You know, I, I was, was like expecting a... that as the finish, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I glad they didn't go there. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, even Ray crying as he's about to get stomped. I'm sorry, but I mean, your son's about to be a wrestler. Like, chill out, bro. <laughs> you got your eyes out. You got him into this, Ray. Like Liz just said, Seth Curb stopped Dominic. Angie Curb stomped Ray when they got back home. I love that. He said the next main event is going to be her versus Ray. <laughs> well, I mean, they only have six days to build to the next pay-per-view, Tony, so that might be legit. <laughs> All right, that wraps up SummerSlam. Hopefully, Tony gets a chance to see the full show, and he'll be able to give you guys his final reaction next week here on the show. But for now... Let's go ahead and get into tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. And all right, Tony, I have a bitch already. Oh, you do? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk. Let's talk Drew McIntyre and punt kick, shall we? Oh man, the wafting of a foot heard around the world. I'll admit the first two didn't look great. The third one did. But here's the problem: Why the fuck is he spamming the punt kick? Go ahead, Tony. Another, uh, to give another level of will he, won't he lose come the pay-per-view that's in fucking six days or however however close it is. Um, you mean yeah, the pay-per-view it, it, match that McIntyre's not having because they pulled him from it to Rorton to face Keith Lee instead? What were your thoughts reason. on the over... 
sorry to interrupt you. What were your thoughts on the overall arc with the uh, punt kicks, the series of punt kicks that Orton delivered to McIntyre tonight, as well as the Keith Lee versus Randy Orton match and Keith Lee's debut here? We'll start with the Orton and McIntyre stuff, and then we'll move over to the Keith Lee stuff. Tony? Well, okay, so a lot of the times I have very, very strong opinions, but I like to think that I almost always have some semblance of backing up to as to why I feel the way that I feel. Uh, tonight I felt something that I, I didn't know how to properly defend because I didn't have any evidence towards, you know, why it felt wrong. I just know that it felt wrong. And I'm not glossing over your first question, but I, I, it does have something to do with my response to, to this. It's, I didn't feel like Keith Lee needed to be anywhere near Orton versus Drew. That doesn't mean that I don't feel he should be anywhere near the main event. I just think that their story, the way that they were continuing the story, meant that there was no room for Keith Lee. And they kind of shoehorned him in, and he did kind of feel like an afterthought, considering Drew got kicked in the head a bunch of times, and we were supposed to care about that. Um, I know we're not incapable of caring about more than one thing, but it just came off as something that just really wasn't – like, it diminished his, his debut. I also want to couple that with the reality that no way in hell would I have been okay with Keith showing up and beating a jobber in three seconds. I just feel like you could have had any ready-made story for Keith Lee, and instead you shoehorned him, shoehorned him into a storyline that you weren't even done with. If Drew and Orton had ended, um, you know, at SummerSlam, and Lee went straight for Randy Orton, that's something. That's a story. But this just can't kind of just, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it could have been done better. But, again, like I said, I don't have a, a full defense as to why I feel that way. I just I feel it. As far as the, the punts, yeah, I mean, it's never good to oversaturate with one move, especially one that's supposed to be as devastating as that. Because we talked about last week how we were pissed off that Shawn Michaels started to stand up after two punts. McIntyre actually came back and started fighting back after taking a second punt earlier in the night before he got put out with a third. Um, I'm going to disagree with you on the Keith Lee-Randy Orton thing, and I'll explain why once I give Liz a chance to explain her thoughts on both the multitude of punt kicks and Keith Lee's raw debut tonight. Okay, so first I can't complain about the multitude of punt kicks. I actually missed like the first few minutes of Raw because I was watching a very old episode of the Andy Griffith show. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I love that show. Um, so I missed the first ones. And since they, they, since they were so awful, I'm rather glad that I did because it didn't ruin the well, it didn't play into ruining the rest of it um, for me. So of course um, I was like, okay, wait, it's like Drew, like, guess you never know like, really injured and they're going to strip him of the title or something. Um, It did feel a little – I didn't mind so much that Keith um, Lee um, interrupted, you know, Randy. Cause, I mean, you've had that before, the young guy, the, you know, the legend killer's in the ring, and the young guy comes down and, like, yeah, you know, F you, whatever. It's a, you know, new sheriff in town type of thing. I didn't mind that, you know, so much. It doesn't – it doesn't make sense. I mean, does it ever make sense when they shoehorn somebody else into a, a, a storyline? I kind of thought at first that maybe they were moving along from it. Obviously, they're not, as Tony has detailed for us very eloquently, as, as always. Um, I don't mind it so much. I mean, it's something that they do, you know, fairly often. I don't mind people having multiple feuds at a time. I understand 
why they're suddenly, I mean, the whole payback thing is a mystery anyway, but I don't understand why it's suddenly, I don't understand why it's suddenly Randy versus, you know, Keith, you know, he's going to, oh, Keith is like, you know, out for, you know, you know, whatever for Drew. I'm like at a loss for words right now. I'm not used to talking so late. But I don't know. It didn't bother me. Nothing bothers me as much as things bother the two of you. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Real quick, did you get your iced coffee tonight during Raw? Yes. Okay, so at least that's what's helped in keeping you awake enough to do the show itself. All right, um, I'm going to explain to you both why Keith Lee and Randy Orton make sense here. And this is from somebody who actually follows kind of the whole social interaction on the WWE, on the WWE front as well. It has been established on the social media platforms that Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre are very close. Going into his WrestleMania match with, with Brock Lesnar, McIntyre was sparring with Keith Lee because Keith Lee is a guy who is of a similar size physically to what Lesnar is. Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre go back to their days on the independent circuit where, if I am not mistaken, Keith Lee actually took the Evolve title from Drew McIntyre when McIntyre was coming back to the WWE. So... For Keith Lee to stand up for his friend made perfect sense to me, but this is because I follow the social medias. I follow the interactions that they've had with them, not because they actually told that story on television, which would have been the wise thing to do because then it would have made sense for Tony and Liz. You explain the fact that Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre go back. Explain the fact that they have this personal relationship, that they've known each other for years, that they're very close friends, that they've grown, that Drew McIntyre when he was Drew Galloway, grew as a performer with Keith Lee by his side. You can explain that to the fans at home. You can use that archive that you just bought from Evolve and put them off of Club WWN. Fuck you very much for that. But you can use that archive that you just acquired to explain this story to the viewers at home to explain why Keith Lee is stepping up for Drew McIntyre. So basically what you're telling me, and I completely understand that, is that they're still trying to fit somebody into the storyline that I was supposed to get with Drew and Jinder. Obviously, we all know Keith is a superior wrestler to Jinder. I'm not saying that he's not. I'm just saying what they're doing is continuing that planned storyline of whatever, whatever. Just with and we're eventually going to get we're, just gonna, we're eventually going to get Drew and Keith, which I can completely get behind. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to Drew versus Keith for the WWE Championship. Tony, no. Does that help? Does that help put any kind of insight into it for you, or are you are you along the same lines as before? Of if that's the story, you need to tell me it rather than having me figure it out for myself. Well, no. I mean, they they slightly mentioned it, and I'm aware of the history that they have, and I didn't need like a video package of them coming up the ranks. I mean, you know, since the debut wasn't going to be a surprise, they could have easily had him meet up with Drew backstage and say one or two things like, amen, Orton's, you know, a clown or whatever. And then it it lays credence as to why he would go out there and challenge Orton because they made it seem like he's going after the biggest dog. And that wasn't necessarily the case. If you do that, then you're just another debut that I'm not interested in because we've seen this before. I mean, Liz even said it, you know, that's typical of of a new person, a rookie coming in and trying to, you know, shoot for the biggest guns and, you know, trying to show up, but ultimately not making it because that's what happened. He was trying to show up Orton, but didn't win the match. 
that's not the story that they were trying to tell. The, and if and that that has to do with believing what you said to be true. If what you said is true, then the story they were trying to tell is first of all much more interesting and gives reason, which so many people just need a little bit of reason. <laughs> And, and that that's more interesting than what we saw today. And what we saw today was just another debut from NXT after a loss that should have mattered all, not mentioned, not even, you know, sniffed at um, against a, a, a person who's been longstanding and he just didn't quite cut it. That just, that I feel like that does more bad than good. And I don't think that they realize that. I'm willing to see what they do this Sunday with this match between Lee and Orton. Oh, because I do think that they, I think they, I think they put themselves in a, I think they put themselves in a no-win situation with this match though, because Orton's going to need a win in order to stay strong for an eventual rematch with McIntyre. But you don't want Lee to lose his first marquee match on the main roster either. I don't mind Orton not going for the belt again. I don't mind him losing to Lee. Um, it would be a rare occasion where someone debuting from NXT is catapulted to the main event and earned it. Uh, I mean, who's the look at, remember when did Lacey Evans show up randomly? She was like a group of six, right? Uh, sounds about right. I think during right. the last, to, uh, I think during the last draft. Yeah. We don't need like actual detail, but the point was, I remember you and I talking about how this was utterly pointless. Some of these people are going to mean nothing and, you know, jack shit. And I would challenge us to look up that list of people and see where those people are because I think Otis and Tucker were, were two of them. And, yeah, you could say he's a money in the yeah. bank winner, but do we remember that? Um, and then Lacey is uh, Lacey. Fe- <laughs> February of last year, right after the call-ups of Alistair, Ricochet, Tommaso Ciampa, and Johnny Gargano the month prior. Yeah. Yeah. Just So, for me, I just – I didn't want this to happen again to Keith Lee, and that's probably the only reason why I'm incredibly excited about the possibility of him beating Orton and growing from there. For the record, we're not doing um, we're not doing payback predictions. It's not enough of a card built in order to do predictions. I think they have like four matches announced right now. It's not worth it. I do need to go back and check my and Tony's predictions to see which one of us did better for SummerSlam. Because off the top of my head, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen. But anyway, uh, moving on with tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw here. Tony, you know, the, one of the things that they did announce for Payback well in advance was that Bailey and Sasha were going to be defending the women's tag team titles. They are defending the women's tag team titles against Nia Jax and Shayna Basler. Wolf. All right, you let me preface this by saying most likely gonna lose. Let me preface this by saying that I actually really like Shayna Basler. My opinions on Naya have not changed. I still refuse to basically acknowledge her existence. The only reason I'm doing it here is because she's in a title match and I kind of have to. I like Shayna Baszler, but this is the mother of all throwaway defenses, is it not, Tony? Yeah, this this is this is this is bad. Um, I'm worried about this. Multiple things. First, Nia, if you never wrestle again in WWE, I'll be incredibly happy. 
um, the character work, that, that exchange they had backstage, that was horrible. And that's on both parts, not just Nia. Nia is horrible. Nia is bad. But Shayna looked incredibly awkward, like really, really bad in her, her, her little... Okay, I'm going to come off as an apologist here, but to be fair to Shayna, Shayna's never been known as a talker. I don't think it relates to her strength having Shayna. I agree, but that's not Shayna's fault. I'm not. Yes, it is. Whose fault is it? When do I ever blame the performer with the exception of Nia Jax? This was not – I wrote it in the report. Somebody commented, and I said this was not a bad performance. It was bad dialogue given to a bad performer. Like, it was bad. It was really bad. It made Shayna look awkward and kind of humanized her. And I don't think that we're ready for that yet. I think that we still need to see her just murder people. Um, that's, what, that's what I'm afraid of. Is you're, you're making her more and more human. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm just saying she's still too new for that. You know, the little, the little jokes that she had with Nia. And then the second little get together where they decided to be friends for this one particular point only, but, um, you know, maybe you should not get in my way. And then she slaps Nia and Nia just eats the slap. I just felt everything was wrong with these, with the exchange between these two. Okay. Liz, to answer your question, I don't put that on Shana. I put that on creative. Yeah, whatever. We I have that... six podcasts about that. Um, it, it is. No, it is. It's on creative. They gave they gave the the dialogue was was awful. Maybe it's something that they should have been allowed to, you know, ad lib. I think a lot of people who come off as like struggling, you know, in in speaking, probably would do better if they had a little more leeway to speak naturally. Um, I think Shayna obviously can supposedly pull off a very tough, um, tough pers- you know response. Um, or demeanor, you know, easily, and it would seem a little more natural. Um, yeah, that was just horrible. But everything with Nair is horrible. It's never Nair is my female brawn. That's I've always felt that um, felt that way about her. But at some point, you do have to say it is also on the performer. It's just like anybody in any job. Tony manages a bar, runs a bar. I don't mean to be insulting the way I sound it. I'm not trying to like you know, bring your position down. If he's a shit How manager, dare you, Tony. are you going to, no, no, if he's a shit, if he's a shit manager, at what point is it, you know, on him and no longer on, Oh, he wasn't trained properly, you know? So there's, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of leeway, but even, you know, the whole, you know, Oscar's amazing in, in the ring, which is a lot better than, you know, than they let on. There's a thousand things, you know, you could say, but at some point it's on, you know, the performer. I like Shayna. You know, I I can't wait to see, you know, where her career, you know, skyrockets. And that was very awkward. And that made her look way worse than, you know, she ever needs to look. But at some point it's on the performer and you can't pick and choose. Like, I love, I mean, we'll go back to Jinder. I love Jinder. I accept how horrible he is in many ways, you know, (laughs) but whatever. I don't, you know, I don't pretend. At some person, at some point, you have to put it on the performer. If they don't improve, then they don't, you know, then then whatever. That's on them. We don't know. We like to pretend we know everything that goes on behind stage, on backstage. That you know, in the tra- in the 
promo classes and the this and the that level, we really don't know anything, you know, or we know, you guys know more than I do. Most of us know very, you know, very little. At some point, and I'll end it here, it's on the on the performer. Not Shana, because I'm not really familiar with her. I'm not dragging her. I like her. Naya just needs to, like, fucking go away. She's never going to learn anything. Tony does write people up for choosing Superman over Batman, though. That's yeah. not cool. Immediate write-up. Well, you'd be stupid um, to pick Superman over that or whatever. <laughs> Thank you. Back to uh, back to the Nia and Shayna challenging for the tag team titles thing. It actually comes out of the opening contest, which sees Shayna take on Bailey as a follow-up to last week's episode of Raw, where Shayna tapped Bailey to get the win in the tag match. The problem is, is Nia causes the disqualification by attacking Shayna. Those two get into a brawl. Bailey and Sasha are laughing at Nia and Shayna while they're fighting, and then Nia and Shayna realize that Bailey and Sasha are laughing, and then decide to go after Bailey and Sasha, which sets up arguably the worst wrestling trope of them all, Tony, which is tag team partners who don't get along. Yeah. Yep. And you're about to get another one pretty soon. Tag team partners who don't get along who win the titles. I swear to God, if they put the belts on Nia and Shayna, they might as well well kill the fucking tag division already at this point because it's not like they've done much with it anyway. But Nia and Shayna might be the death belt for those belts. What bugs me the most is that if if it was Asuka and Shayna, there's this respected uh, level of, of equality. Nothing that I have seen Nia do character-wise um, has shown me that she would even be interested in doing this, in teaming with anyone. I've never seen her put gold over trying to murder somebody, um, particularly a tag team title. Women's championship, maybe, because she feels that's her belt. But a tag team championship has never been shown to me to be important to her so important that you would stop a beatdown of someone that you think you can destroy <laughs> just to get those titles. I, it just it doesn't ring true. Which I again with every single thing that they do, it's a very very short sighted way to tell a story to get to a pay per view that most likely is not going to matter. And then they're going to book themselves into a corner where I truly do think they're going to give Nia and Shayna the belts. Um, which I just. It just there's so many things wrong with that. You diminish the first title that uh, Shayna's ever gonna win. You diminish that feeling into to basically nothingness because it's a throwaway tag team. Um, you give Nia a title, which alone should be a crime, and you get that that the same thing that we've seen People over have been and over. For with like tag teams that just don't like each other. What makes? Why would we like them? I mean. I think the last time that worked was Cesaro and Sheamus, and um, mm-hmm. that even that was a struggle. And you had a lot of help with Mick Foley. <laughs> yeah, Cesaro and Sheamus, and you were kind of talking about this though. Cesaro and Sheamus worked because they beat the respect into each other, almost in a similar sense that you could say that it would have been for Oscar and Shayna. That if they were ending up spiraling out, even if they did with the titles, they would beat the respect into each other for going after the belts together down the road. This is a case of, well, Nia's back. I guess we've got to give her something to do. I don't, 
I just don't. I w- it's very, very. You know what I thought about recently, Harry? And this is this is a slight aside, but I thought it would be an interesting thing to mention. You know, with cancel culture being the way it is and how it's so easy to just look back on Twitter and everything else and find, you know, keywords and stuff. <clears throat> I thought to myself, what if I sold my book next year and I became a big-ass author with a name value and someone looked up the raw reaction and listened to any one of our probably multi-hundred episodes and heard me talk shit about any one wrestler. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. <clears throat> so I always try to be, like, you know, aware that I don't want to insult the performer. I don't know Nia Jax, the performer, but just what I see on TV is just not, it's just not interesting. And it's, it's very just, ugh. And re- realistically, speaking, I'm not afraid of being canceled or anything like that. I've done far worse than talk shit about somebody on a podcast, but it's just, it's very interesting to see how we are, we are just under the radar, but all it would take is one, literally one like viral podcast or me becoming slightly more famous than I am. And we might be screwed, Harry. <laughs> all, I'm, all I'm saying, Tony, is you're a Mexican, not a Mexican. Don't think that way. <laughs> Shout out to George Lopez. I love me some George Lopez. You know, the George Lopez show is on Peacock. I might subscribe solely to rewatch that show. Nice. Yeah. I saw George Lopez live once when I was younger. Why are you crying? Huh? Don't, don't try to do that. <laughs> That's as close as I'm getting. I'm not going to give it another chance. All right, let's move on. Um, so me and Liz were actually kind of talking about this in our own personal chat while the show was happening, and that's the Kevin Owens show with special guest Aleister Black. And almost seemingly maybe the, the beginning of almost a heel turn for Aleister as he lays out Kevin Owens. Liz said that she didn't say anything because I watched I watched the show with a little bit of a delay. I watch on my Spectrum app on my Roku, which is a little bit delayed from the live performance, but it's easier for me to watch on the Roku just because everything else I do is on the Roku and I don't have to keep switching back and forth between channels. Liz said that it took everything in her not to say anything before it happened because she knew that I was watching on a delay and didn't want to give anything away. Liz seemed you seemed almost a little upset about the fact that they did that with Alistair, and I said. Truth be told, Owens kind of deserved it. I wasn't upset that they did that to Alistair. I, you know, you have a talk show. You expect that the host is going to get beat up nine out of ten times that there's a talk. And so I actually expected them to get, like, you know, physical. I think I missed, and I'm going to admit it, I think I missed some of what Kevin was saying. Um, I, I know they were showing the... Alistair supposedly getting his eye gorged out nonsense. Um, And Kevin, you know, Kevin was being, you know, Kevin, I can get behind an Alistair and Kevin feud. I mean, they're both, you know, pretty damn good. You know, so I think, I think I missed, and I'm going to go back and watch it. I think I missed some of what Kevin was saying or the tone in which he was saying it. So like I was caught off guard, like, okay, for a second, I thought the man was like going to pass out and then he beat up Kevin. So it was more of a like, um, you know, what the hell's going on? <laughs> what the hell's going on right. here? So, so, Tony, basically to explain to everybody what happened at home here, Owens was talking about the fact that he sympathizes with what Alistair has gone through because Seth Rollins did the same thing to him, did the same thing to, did the same thing to Rey Mysterio, did the same thing to Dominic. 
basically almost kind of condescendingly, in my opinion, saying, I know where you're at, bro. I've been there. Whereas Alistair's sitting there with an eye patch on his eye in a pissed off mood in general, just because. And then Owens is trying to talk to him like he's some kind of ally or, or something when Alistair clearly doesn't have any allies at this point. Realistically speaking, do you think Alistair came off justified? And is the fact that there's a little bit of room for interpretation here probably a good thing in order for people to decide who they want to root for in this particular story? Alistair Black has been saying for a very long time, come knock on my door. And you know what Kevin Owens did? He knocked on the <laughs> fucking door. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I didn't even put that together, but you're right. He literally knocked on Alex's door. Um, yeah, I you know, it's it's very um for me, Alistair Black wasn't really doing much for me as a face. His character didn't really fit that mold. He tried to help out his buddies, and he ended up getting shat on. He tried to be a friend, and nobody was a friend for him. So um, it's one of those stories that kind of writes itself. Um, and Kevin Owens is the perfect foil for that because he Kevin Owens can do anything. And I just I kind of liked his his uh, his his presence there. Um, and yeah, he did come off as kind, of, and it is easy to to make that that connection. This these are the times where you don't need to fill in the gaps. You can't tell a man who's damn near missing an eye that you know exactly how he feels because you're not missing exactly. an eye. <laughs> so I, I was, I was like fine you... with this. I'm, I'm, I'm down for an Alistair Black turn. I don't care if there's too many heels on Raw. I never understood that. Um, I'm, I'm cool with it. To, to your point, though, you can't tell a man that you know what he's been through when he's sitting there wearing that. Exactly. You condescending little fucker. <laughs> And also Alistair just was complete. Going to make it personal, and Owens is good with personal. And let's be honest, too. These are two of the better workers in the company, so you know it's going to be good shit when they face off with each other. Yeah. I'm just glad that Black's of, not you – know, just didn't like him as a face, not not his current character. It didn't didn't jive well with me because it, what it does is it removes the mystique, and, and similar to Shayna – it makes them human, and there's just certain wrestlers that you don't you don't want that with right now. You know, you can I'll give you an example. Would you want the Undertaker to suddenly give a shit about certain things? Like, not particularly. No, I, at least I don't think so. That's similar to Alex so Black, where like, not that I don't want him to care. It's just not right now. You're you're still trying to show me who you are. As of right now, my hope for next week on Raw is that Aleister Black, Black Mathis, Umberto Carrillo clean out of the WWE. <laughs> this is for not coming to my aid, you son of a bitch. So whack. Yeah, basically. And, I mean, that's one of the, those are one of the stories where you'd be like, yep, that makes sense. I mean, where the hell were you, you know? Where, where was anybody when his eyes were getting pierced out of, a, you know, his socket? To steal a line from Steve Cook in an excellent article on thechairshot.com, WWE babyfaces are the worst people in the world. Yeah, I say that a lot in my report, too. Not those exact words, but I completely agree. All right, let's move on. 24-7 title on the line in a four-way. Akira gets help from his ninjas, gets the title back. Good for him. Next. Yep. I have nothing to add to that, Liz. I didn't really pay attention to it. 
I'm, I'm, I missed most of the match because my, uh, my Roku was refreshing, and frankly, I still didn't miss anything. No. The Orton-Keith Lee segment is here. We already discussed that. My tablet is freezing on me, so I'm unable to scroll past to the next thing in here. So, Tony, you want to help a guy out? Um, let's see. I can open up my report real quick. <clears throat> um, you want to cover the armor, time. which is so important. Well, it, it leads to where I think they should have gone with the U.S. title in the first place, is we have uh, Apollo Crews defending against Bobby Lashley this Sunday at Payback. Um, I'm not opposed to Apollo and Bobby being the match here, and it makes more sense for this to be the match, because in storyline, Bobby's the one who took Apollo out in the first place, and MVP was just there to reap the benefits. Why would Lashley be okay with that? What part of Lashley's character up until this point would tell you that he would be okay sitting in the background to his manager? Now Lashley himself gets to go after the United States title. Yeah, yeah, I love that. The only way I could defend that is by saying MVP is just that fucking good at manipulating that he was able to convince Lashley. And I'd agree with that. You know, because MVP is, he's great. With the exception of Raw Underground, he's he's doing his thing. (laughs) Which, by the way, fuck that. Not discussing it. No fucks given. Totally okay with that. Didn't they have a match you advertised want... that didn't happen? <laughs> yeah, because it was supposed to be Ivar versus Ziggler, and then Ziggler for some fucking re- Nope, because that's me <laughs> discussing it. I said I wasn't going to do that. Fuck you, Tony. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> All right. Um, back to the Apollo Crews, or back, yeah, back to the Apollo Crews Bobby Lashley thing here. I appreciate the fact that MVP is trying to be more actively involved with the younger talent. I appreciate that he's trying to get. Lashley back to the point where Lashley should be as a singles performer because God knows Lana did fuck all for him. That being said, I do think that you kind of put Lashley and to an extent Shelton Benjamin and MVP's shadow when MVP was the one going for the United States title. And this puts the focus on the United States title back where it should be on the main roster talents, on the guys that are going to be your future generation of performer, whereas MVP is basically there allegedly more or less just to be a mouthpiece for the Hurt business. Liz, what did you make of the – I mean, we, you don't have to discuss the arm wrestling thing if we don't want to. It's every arm wrestling segment in the WWE ever. Somebody cheats to win. In this case, it was the baby face. As Lashley tried to put his foot under the table, Apollo stomped on his foot and then put his arm onto the table in order to win the match. I did see that Lashley and Henry had words afterwards. It kind of concerns me that they might go somewhere with that because Henry's been retired for a while. And while I like Mark Henry, and I think he did some phenomenal work towards the end of his career, his in-ring days should be behind him at this point. What do you make of Apollo and Lashley for the United States title list? I would like it a lot better if they didn't include the ridiculous um, um, wrestling match. It serves no purpose. It was nice to see Mark, whatever, make him an on-screen person. He was probably giving back a general manager or something. I don't know. Um but I like Lashley. I like the whole of Apollo. Um, I don't know. Maybe a little less scripted. I think MVP is one of the best things going on on Raw at the moment. Um, I love. I've always enjoyed MVP's work. But there's just something. I don't know. It kind of maybe it seems a little bit all over the place. Um, they get mad and they go fight in the underground or whatever it's called. I don't mind it, but I think 
kind of needs to be tightened up a little bit because they just seem to be like all over the place. Um, they go, you know, they lose, they run downstairs to go fight somebody else. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It, to me, in, in the long run, I mean, you know, they're trying something new. That's right. I don't mind the underground, actually. I think you get rid of Shane, I, I'd enjoy it even more. Thankfully, they got rid of the dancing hoolers that were there for no reason. No offense to the women that were doing it. Everybody did that. But it was just pointless. I guess it's part of whatever, whatever, but it was just stupid. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I can get behind Lashley in, in Apollo. I'm glad that he's no longer with Lana. I don't, you know, dislike Lana as much as everybody else. She's a horrible wrestler. We know that. Um, so I think if they give it some actual focus and don't go into all like these stress, sorry, test of strength and crap that we are sometimes subjected to, I think we could get something pretty decent out of it. All right. I sent basically the same message to both of you. And I'm going to briefly touch on it because of the backstage segment that appears here. But, Tony, out of curiosity, who accompanied Angel Garza to ringside? Uh, Andrade. Was there anybody else? Not that I saw, no. So Tony's going to do this running thing now where he refuses to talk about The Bachelor or, as Liz just pointed out. Why? And frankly, I can't... And frankly, I can't blame him because I had that exact same thought. And the other thing that I sent to both of you was, I believe my exact words were, Angel Garza's half a fucking moron. Charlie over The Bachelor bitch? Really? Or The Bachelor bitch over Charlie? Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense either. The thing is, if some random person was there where you would say, man or woman, where you would say, okay, maybe they're trying them out. Maybe they're going to be another backstage person. Maybe Charlie is going to be elevated to, you know, Renee level, you know, or whatever, do more stuff with all these new shows that maybe the imaginary going to have. I don't ever know. I don't really, you know, I don't care. She has no personality. She has no charisma. This isn't me being like some, okay, why is this, like, you know, beautiful blonde on the show, whatever, and I'm some, like, bitter, you know, woman. I really don't care. Beautiful, um, I watch, you know, I, I watch a show with beautiful women, and it's, like, three, five times a week here with all this wrestling that's on these days, you know, whatever. She brings nothing to the show, and her voice is so fucking annoying that I can't stand it. You so know what's weird? I, what's I really weird is yeah. how... Um, um, Ivar just came ringside and like handed a turkey leg to a fucking office chair. Like, okay, just to, to be fair, who wrote that? To be to be fair, that office that office chair had more personality than the chick from The Bachelor did. Oh, Ivar, you are a you are a funny man. Just real quick here in regards to this year. I know Tony. I know Tony's not going to acknowledge her existence, but I think for the sake of the show, we kind of have to. Because this is like the fourth week in a row that she's been on television now. So obviously there's something going on here. She's either fucking somebody or there's some kind of tryout going on for her to transfer over here. And oh, I'm no, going to tell you guys. The bachelor, isn't it? Oh, God, that's going to be horrible. I made my sex, sorry. I'm going to send the exact same words that I sent to, I, I think I sent them to somebody. I, I thought I sent it to Tony, but it's not on here. My chat with Tony, I forget who I sent it to them. 
she's not impressive by wrestling standards. She's not all that attractive. She's not buxom. She doesn't have anything resembling a personality. She's basically generic white chick number 72. She's just getting a shit ton of screen time because she did a reality TV show that people apparently still care about in 2020. The match itself is Montez Ford versus Angel Garza. And it's actually not bad, but these two do have decent chemistry. They had pretty good chemistry as a team as well. I thought, I thought the Raw Tag Team title match at SummerSlam was solid, if not great. It was at least good for the time that it was given. It just didn't have a whole lot of time. I think they got less than 10 minutes. Tony, you like Montez Ford's Frog Splash. I have to tell you, I don't. Yeah, I like it only that it shows his athletic ability. Um, I do think that I think that he has not yet found his um, balance of character and athleticism, but that that kind of just that makes sense, you know. I feel like the midair turn on the frog splash is superfluous. It's unnecessary. Oh yeah, it is. But I it think looks cool. I think the only reason that they're having him do the turn like that is so that way Dominic's frog splash looks more impressive in and of itself. Nah, they don't care about shit like that. Sasha did a frog splash tonight too, and it was better than all of them. Of course you feel that way. Liz, what did you make of the Montez what did you make of the Montez Ford Angel Garza match? I'm sorry, I had to have you on mute for a second. I had to... Um, it was all right. It it was there. I mean, I was completely distracted because I was ranting about why is this woman on you know, on TV. Um because it makes no sense and that crap bothers me. It's like a character that you don't really need. She, like you said, she brings nothing to it. I was so glad when Ivor allured her away with food, which just goes to show you that, you know, women like, you know, to eat, even when they're petite, um, as anybody else. But, I don't know. It was an okay match. I mean, there wasn't anything to write home about, as they say, in all people's terms. It was there. It was decent. I actually thought it was a tag match, because I was <laughs> telling that to you. Until I realized it was just the two of them. So, I mean, that's what it says about the, what I think of the match. You're right. I would not write home about it. But you did write about it. So, eventually, yeah. it could get home. And write okay. about it. Mo- moving on. Six-woman tag match, Tony, and we kind of talked about this earlier, and I'm going to expand upon my thought here. There are six women in this match, but only two of them really matter. The two that matter are the two that could be the primary focal point for the women's division on Raw. You've been singing the praises of Bianca Belair for months here on this show. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to point out that I think Zelina Vega is really coming into her own as an in-ring participant as well. Yeah, she's not bad. She's no AJ Lee, but, yeah. Well, she did play AJ in the movie. Yeah, I, I was there. Back to the uh, the six the six woman tag match itself. There, I, I appreciate the fact that they actually got a little bit more time than they've been giving the women on Raw lately, which isn't saying much considering it went like three and a half minutes. But at least for these women, it's more time than they've been giving them lately. Do you think that it's possible that they could expand this further for Bianca and Zelina to give them something resembling credibility in the women's ta- in the women's division on Raw? I think this is one of those occasions where you got you can make two stars. You can really um, give these girls some time, give them some effort, and really, really create 
two people that are viable wrestlers. We believe Bianca has it because we've seen enough um, to, to believe that. We don't know about Zelina. And I mean this as a wider audience. So, um, yeah, well, most people don't. They just see her as a manager. So it would be a nice way to prove that, you know, she's more than that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I thought that they did well here. Yeah, I do think that they did not need the six-person tag match to do that. Um, but the, the Iconics also as a team, they, they tend to look really, really good. So I, was I think what fun. needs to happen, I think what needs to happen, Liz, is you have to give these women more time against each other in order to establish a reputation with the fan base. Do you not three and a half minutes just isn't going to get it done. Yeah. What happened to the, you know, evolution, you know, to go back to, um, fiasco with Naya and Shayna, the only way that match gets redeemed is if every one of these six women, Naomi, maybe Carmella comes back um, for the hell of it, and Lacey, who, Nat, and, and even Lana, Lana, whatever you want to call it, come out and like interrupt the match and like try to beat everybody up. Even if Shayna and she should end up standing tall over all of them, it's the only way to redeem that match because those two definitely should not be winning the tag title. Um, I don't even think the other two should be losing them yet until they um, give these other women more time and establish some of these people as actual tag teams. I hate random tag teams. I'm, a, I'm the, like, probably the biggest shame since the Zella Mock, and we all know this going. But even I was annoyed when the bar, you know, in the first half, I was like, whatever. Um, but it's, I think the women have definitely, in the last few months, and maybe before, definitely struggled, you know, to have time? Is it because there's less of them around? I mean, Mickey's back. Mickey deserves way better than, in my opinion, than she's, um, than she definitely oh. interrupted me. But they definitely we, need more time. I think I think the women have definitely taken a few steps backwards. They're, I mean, they're focusing on the same, you know, four. I don't, I don't care if we ever see Charlotte again. I mean, I'm actually, I mean, what would Becky be doing? Becky would probably still be in the front, you know, in the, in the front of Bliss if she wasn't, you know, waiting to have a baby and everything. But they need to shuffle the people around them more. They have a lot of, you know, female talent that they should be focusing on, you know, it, people who can actually wrestle. And the women have taken a giant step backwards. All right. So before we get into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, I do want to expand upon what you just said there. First of all, Tony and I went into graphic detail how pissed off we were with the way that Natalia and Nikki were treated last week on Raw on last week's episode of the show, available in the archives. Mostly Mickey. Yes, mostly Mickey, because it was Mickey's return after being gone for a fucking year, and you did that to her. Thanks, asshole. <clears throat> anyway. I don't care about But to your point, Liz, you're exactly right. The women's division in the WWE over the course of, like, the last four months has been Bailey, Sasha, whomever Bailey's feuding with the Flavor of the Month, whomever Sasha's feuding with as a Flavor of the Month, and maybe not even that before they started going to all three shows. It's been primarily focused on Bailey, Sasha, and then maybe a random girl here or there. Asuka for a Raw because of her involvement there. Kyrie when she was still around as well. Other than that, nobody else has fucking mattered in this division, and that's a problem because when you train people that nobody matters in this division, then we're going to treat them like nobody matters in this division. And it's that exact kind of level of disconnect that you had with the, with the audience, with the women's wrestling back in the eras of – back in the pre 
revolution era that caused fans not to care that these girls were only getting three-and-a-half-minute matches. Now we care that they're only getting three-and-a-half-minute matches because we know they're capable of more, but you're not showing that they're capable of more. All right, let's move on. Oh, you had something you wanted to add, Liz? I cannot hear you. I had to move where I was, where I was speaking from, because so, I'm disturbing at my elbow. So I've warned you too, that I really could care less about most women's wrestling. I'm not ashamed to say that because I just don't find it as entertaining um, as, as, as other stuff, but mainly because of the way the WWE has handled it. And that's, that's one to um, expand my horizons. But if I'm saying it as somebody who could really care less about half of them, that it's gotten bad, it's gotten pretty bad. Okay, we already discussed the arm. We already discussed the segment with the with the arm wrestling, and then there was another attempt by MVP to recruit Cedric right before that. But we've kind of gone into detail about that before. Mysterio family interview, Tony. What were your thoughts? Um, I mean, it go it, it goes back to what I was saying with like you're eventually going to have to hit this point where Dominic is a WWE signed wrestler and he's not a baby. So, you know, but I think, and Ray also went like way off topic. Like they gave him way too much time. I think he had an extra minute or so of saying gibberish, but I think realistically he was super hyped. This is a dream that he's had since his, probably since his son said, I want to be a wrestler, dad. So, I mean, I'll, I'll remove the cynicism for a while just to say, you know, I'm glad that they finally got that moment, you know, because Ray, I'm pretty sure Ray's like counting the days before he's ready to, you know, tie, hang up the boots. So this was a joyous occasion for him, and I, I don't want to take that from him. Liz, you have to admit, Ray's kind of a cheeky bastard. No, I don't have to admit anything that has to do with Ray. He's a well, really Liz's bad bias aside, <laughs> Liz's bias aside, Ray gets off one really good line in this interview stating that one day Seth will have a family of his own. Which I thought was just... I'm yeah, sorry, that, try that again? You know, I think I that's think... just being cheesy as shit. I liked it. I thought it worked. It was a, it was it was a nice little call out to Becky, even without specifically mentioning her by name. I didn't. I don't want to give. Go ahead, Tony. I just said I didn't want to give him that much credit. I don't think that he knew. Like, Lumberjill match, Tony. So, uh, Sasha gets another shot at the Raw Women's title, this time in a Lumberjill match taking on Asuka on Raw. Sasha tries to run around ringside. Bailey, or excuse me, Bailey runs around ringside after they after Asuka gets thrown out. Bailey tries to throw the various members of the roster towards Sasha. Sasha beats or towards Asuka. Asuka beats them all up. But that's all, folks. Eventually. Asuka gets to Bailey, but Sasha attacks from behind. However, towards the end of the match, the interference attempted by Bailey backfires, and Sasha once again finds herself caught in the Asuka lock for a submission victory for Asuka to retain the women's title. Your thoughts on the match, Tony? Um, I'm not a fan of lumberjack matches 
almost always. Um, it goes back to what I bring up every time there's a, a bunch of wrestlers who seemingly have to care about something that they haven't cared about prior to. Um, so, you know, they don't really do much for me. This one was non-intrusive, though. There wasn't a lot that I could be upset about, and I got to see Sasha, so I was pretty happy. Um, it was funny to see Asuka, you know, truck through all the the girls, but again, what does that, what does that mean about the girls that she just demolished? Um, yeah, I I think that this was just a means to an end. It was just to get more into the storyline of Bailey and Sasha eventually getting to where they're going to be going. So it it wasn't problematic for me. Liz, your thoughts on Asuka and Sasha in the Lumberjill match? It's all right. I can't really say anything other than than Tony. I mean, what we do is see Sasha and Oscar and Oscar and Bailey and Sasha and Oscar and blah, blah, blah. I didn't think Sasha was going to win the title back um, yet. So I I don't really have too much of an opinion on the match, i got to be honest. I thought the match was okay for what it was. You didn't get the sense that Sasha was going to win. It kind of seemed like an afterthought that Oscar was going to retain and, and hopefully move on to something else because God knows this has been running long enough. And then that way you can actually focus on the women that are on Raw in the title match rather than having Sasha, rather than having Sasha and Bailey having to come over on a week-in, week-out basis. That takes us to our main event, which was Seth Rollins and Murphy taking on Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Liz, I'll let you go first because I know of your distaste for Ray in general. But what did you? How do you think they did together as a team here in the first ever teaming of father and son? It's pretty decent. I'm not gonna gonna trash it. I've always said I don't like the guy, and I don't have to like the guy, and I can have my bias against Ray. Just like you guys have your bias against pretty much almost everyone, depending on which way the wind blows. Um, because you guys took on a lot of stuff, which is fine. Um, but I've never, I've never denied that he's an amazing wrestler and that he is a legend and deserves pretty much every accolade you know he's he's ever received and will receive in the future. It was a decent match. I mean, we all knew they were going to team up, you know, um, eventually. They probably will again. For what the match was, I don't really have any, um, you know, complaints about it. I'm not gonna. Um, you know, tear it apart just for the sake that it was that it was Ray. I mean, Dominic has definitely um, impressed me as you know a fan um, more than I than I thought he would when it first started to be said that he was gonna you know months ago or whatever it was that he was gonna be having a match soon. So I didn't. I'm not gonna. It wasn't the worst thing that was on Raw tonight. Tony, I want to talk to you about the ending because you were so against it or when it happened on SmackDown and now here even more so probably given the fact that it interrupted a, a main event match on Raw. Like, I, I understand that you don't care about retribution, but I feel like this is an opportunity to interrupt something that people wanted to see and put more heat on them. So I'm not opposed to retribution's involvement here. What's your question? My question is, is how do you feel about how we went off the air for Raw tonight? Outside of Samoa uh, Joe acting like a bitch, which completely pissed me off as well. Right. Um, as expected, I did not enjoy the ending. Um, <clears throat> well, first, Dominic, I, I, I love, remember last week I said, I hope that he is serviceable. I hope that he's good because I think everyone was shitting on this before he even earned to be shat upon. So I was hoping 
that he had even the most basic of skills to show everyone that, you know, this isn't nepotism or isn't just nepotism at least. Um, and he did. And I'm really, really happy about that. Uh, tonight was more of that. He's got, he's got the moves down. Um, ring placement is a little awkward. You know, he doesn't always know where his opponent is, but I think that comes with um, some more training and um, I don't know. He just looked good. He looked natural. It felt, it felt right. You know? So I was super excited about that. And then retribution comes and I wasn't annoyed like, Oh man, they got, they got Ray because I, I mean, we just saw Ray get his eye gouged out. What are you guys going to do? Stomp him a couple of times. And again, what, what's the worst you're doing? You're flickering lights. And why do you look different than you did with the week before and the week before that? How many are there of you, and why should I care about you guys after almost a month, if not a month already? Um, and then you're, you're so hell-bent on destroying property. Look around. You're in the fucking Thunderdome, bro. You have the opportunity to truly make a statement because they just spent millions building this bitch, and what do you do? You stand on the apron and stare awkwardly at the hard cam. I just, I don't, I have no feeling about them other than I roll left and right. There's, there's nothing here for me. And there's no reveal that's going to be good enough. There's not going to be one reveal that is good enough. It doesn't matter which NX person they bring. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be CM Punk, still not good enough because the story is non-existent. It's not even there. I can't even say that it's a bad story. It just doesn't exist. You have no idea what these people are doing here. The closest clue that we ever got was, I think, SmackDown when they said that they were, they were like similar to the current climate of the world or something. And that scares the shit out of me because WWE cannot do uh, topical things. They cannot do uh, racial strikes. They can't do the strikes or the rioters or the looters. And if they go that route, you know which way they're going. They're going hardcore Republican. So I'm just not interested in that at all. So I don't see a way that this storyline can be saved um, at all. It's completely dead to me. It was dead the moment it happened. These guys mean jack shit. All right, I'm going to disagree with you on one part of what you just said there. The part I'm going to disagree with is the, the SmackDown bit there. What Cole said was, they are taking advantage of the climate currently going on in this world to hide themselves. They never specifically stated that they were going to lean in any direction. And frankly, I don't trust the WWE enough to do that. So I'm glad that they're, I'm glad that it looks like they're going to avoid going that route. That being said, you're right, but they never should have mentioned it then. That being said, I don't think we can really judge this group until we find out who some of the members are. And I think that attempting to do so before that we do that is unfair to the group and unfair to the performers that will be a part of the group. Is the creative shaky? No. Absolutely. Is the creative shaky? Absolutely. I won't sit here and deny that the creative is shaky when it comes to these guys. But I think you're doing a disservice to the performers by kind of, um, kind of looping them all together in terms of that bad creative without giving them a chance to show who they are on their own individual aspects. They're not individuals. They're part of a group, that, and we don't know who they are. Not only that, but like I said before, yes. they are under WWE umbrella. You cannot complain about the WWE if you are working for them. Now, if they're unmasked and it's some group that doesn't even work for them, if we're completely like blindsided by a group that is just not WWE, then all right. 
but you're asking me, I'm going to judge them before I see them because it's still WWE. They're, they're still just, they're not, what are they anti? What are they anti? Like, really? Like, I, it's just, it's not working for me. I wanted to. No, actually, no, I don't want it to. I thought it was a bad idea from the jump. This was, this is crash writing at its worst. This is, we need to do something now because our, our ratings are falling. This is a half-assed thought. I'm pretty sure they, they're not even fully aware what they want it to, want it to be. See, I'm going to disagree with that because the reports have come out that they were planning on doing something like this before the uh, people were pulled away from the attendance and shows. Well, probably would have shat on it then, too. Liz, what are your thoughts with retribution? How can they save them? I think the issue, I think if they really want it, I don't mind it. I mean, we've seen it a couple of times before. I mean, the Shields came in and beat up people, Nexus, Core, Evolution, you know, whoever, whoever. I mean, it's been done. I mean, WCW, you know, whatever. Um, it's been done in various ways um, before. So, I don't know. I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt, but I tend to do that a lot more than the two of you do. I think we've established that at least several times throughout this podcast itself. Um, I don't hate it as much as Tony Tony does, but I can can agree to all of his points. They absolutely um, make sense. I think what they should have done since they're calling themselves retribution is occasionally every week or even if it was like sometime on somehow on social media, at least some sort of a, like a manifesto, you know, or something like, these are our grievances. These are why we want to destroy you. You know, I can see the point that it has to be people. It has to be people that aren't technically assigned, you know, to them. Is it the people that they furloughed? Is it the agents? I really want to be the agents. I want Scott Armstrong. I want you know Lance Storm to be like destroying shit. But that's just me. I want the old men to be doing it. I had that idea before Punk and his territory crap. Anyway, um, I'm gonna go out there and say that. I don't know who's behind it. I hope it's interesting. I think that they should have had some type of, you know, video interruption where a guy in a mask was like, "This is why we hate you." You know, we don't have any context of it. The only other redeeming factor is that it's all women. The only other way they could save themselves if it's not like people who aren't fine with them, it's actually like. People who left for TNA, a lot of people want it to be AEW. It's never going to be AEW. I will probably not even watch if it is people from AEW. Um, I just don't see that happening. The only only other saving grace is if it's actually all women, or mainly women, which I don't see happening, but that would be great. I mean, there's a couple women at the very least. No, yeah, absolutely, there's a couple women, but I'm saying the only way to really make it something like, holy shit, didn't see that coming, is that... It's mainly women. It's mainly women behind it, basically saying, you know, fuck you. I actually put in the raw report that it was the Dark Order and popped a couple of people. <laughs> I saw, I saw, I shook my head. Although, technically, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> that one tall motherfucker in the middle really did have Brody Lee's body type, so. I think that may have been done of an art. Dominic Dijakovic. Liz, you disappointed me. You could have really riled Tony up there and you should have gone for it. I'm a little disappointed you didn't take it. I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. I was when you were ranting. I will. I ranted. Well, you were ranting. I messaged Harry and I should have flashes behind it. I love it. 
that that that's officially our stance here on the reaction. If Sasha leads retribution, Tony is all in favor of it, no matter what kind of shit he said about it before. Even that makes no sense. And let's let's not let's Mom, not deny. We didn't say it made sense. We didn't say it made sense. We're just making fun of you. We gotta start wrapping up. We've got like ten minutes of airtime left. Go ahead and make your point quick, quick Tony. Then we gotta do a final reaction here. Asha's not a good promo. <laughs> Unless she's being Queen Ratchet. Mm, yeah. Did, did Tony just say something negative about Sasha? I don't even think we need a final reaction. That's a go-home right there. What the fuck? You know I do it when I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Begrudgingly. Favorite match or moment, Tony? Um, I'm going to give it Keith Lee's debut. It wasn't the way I would do it, but I'm not the one that is working for them. So, Liz? Um, I was a guy that really jumped out and me like, oh my, you know, and I had a favorite moment. So I'll give it to, you know what, I will give it to Keith for some completely um, different reasons. Keith is underwater um, again. Yeah. Now, actually, you guys are talking so damn much, I'm cleaning my bathroom sink. Um, I had my phone down. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mother fell in love with Keith Lee, so I'm going to give it, she's like, oh my God, who is this? She's really like sitting towards the edge of the bed because she's really blonde, so it's actually see the TV. Um, she's like, oh my God, who is this? Oh my God, he's such a big boy. Oh my God, I love him. So I'm going to give it to Keith for making my mom happy. I'll give it to the main event up until the finish just because you know that that moment meant a lot to Ray. And out of all of the matches on tonight's show, I think it was the one that I thought was the best put together up until the finish. So, all right. Um, Greg, watch me, Tony. Um... Nia Jax or that weird moment where Ivar just gave a turkey leg to an office chair that was also pretty pretty awkward pretty watery I like I said that office chair has more personality than the bachelor chick does Liz least favorite moment um yes anything with the blonde bimbo that doesn't she's probably a very nice person in real life but in terms of this program the, the nonsense with her I'm going to repeat the exact same words that I sent you guys inside of our conversation. Angel Garza's half a fucking moron. Leave it at that. Overall show rating, Tony. <clears throat> Four out of ten. Was not a fan of tonight's episode. He dropped it from the rating that he gave it in the Raw report. Liz? Yeah. I'm not going to be as generous as I was with the other two things. I'm going to give it um, a six. I will split the difference at Tony's original score of a five. Uh, Entering performance was a little lackluster. There are a couple of decent stories that I think did get advanced, though, and I'm curious. I'm still curious where the retribution thing is going. I'm 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 willing to give them a chance because these kind of storylines have always resonated with me. I've always enjoyed storylines like this. I was a big fan of the Aces and Eight storyline and Impact. I'm willing to give Retribution a chance. Who's uh, who's your MVP, t- Tony? <clears throat> um, let's give Dominic some love since I didn't get to watch him fully at SummerSlam. Liz, I'll, I'll give it to Dominic. 
I will reverse from SummerSlam, and I will give my my MVP to to Oscar for basically single-handedly taking out most of the Raw women's division. I mean, to be fair, she's done that more or less her entire time on the roster, so that's kind of what she does. No one was ready for Asuka. Tony, where can people find you online? 411mania.com. And TonyAcero.com is still a work in progress, I take it? Yep. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, too. TonyAcero411. 411, my bad. Liz, where can people find you online? Um, Twitter and Instagram is lizzyp224. In addition, they're both on Facebook on the Chair Shot Wrestling Group. You can find that by searching for the Chair Shot on Facebook.com. I am H-E-B the Eagle on all of your socials. In addition, if you are a sports fan, you can check out myself, Eric Watkins, Jason Teasley, and Randy Isbell on the kickoff every week, usually on Thursdays on the W2M Network. For the returning co-hostess with the mostest, Ms. Liz Pugliese, welcome back, Liz. Thank you. And the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero. Thanks for hanging, Tony. Yep. Deuces, bitches. I'm Harry Broadhurst thanking you for listening to the reaction here on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Now I have to go find a song. All right, so Tony and Liz have signed off. I'm here by myself. What's up, everybody? Oh, Terry. Uh, NXT takeover thoughts real quick. Um, Finn Balor and Timothy Thatcher was exactly what I expected from those two, a nice hard-hitting match. Thatcher's style isn't for everybody, but as somebody who enjoys the grappling form of professional wrestling, I really like it. I do think that they made the wrong call by giving Balor the win just because I think Thatcher needed it more. Balor could recover from a loss here, whereas Thatcher doesn't have any real signature takeover wins. He has that win over Riddle, but that was on NXT TV inside of the cage. But I do think that giving Thatcher a signature win on a takeover over a guy who's been as solid a performer as Finn Balor has been over the course of his NXT career would have been a wise decision. But again, I don't work for creative. Not my call. The North American ladder match, um, Patrick Clark can go fuck himself. Have no interest in discussing him any further on this show. And I will admit that I am wrong if everything comes out that the allegations were not true. But from what I've heard, they are. I've seen the, I've seen the proof that has been provided. 
I know guilty until proven innocent, but he looks pretty guilty. That being said, uh, I, I don't mind Damian Priest winning the ladder match. I personally picked Cameron Grimes, but I don't mind Priest winning just because I think Priest is somebody who they have a lot of faith in. Not to mention he's a big athletic guy, similar vein to a Dominic Dijakovic, who apparently they're losing to the main roster, if you believe the rumors and innuendos about who's in retribution and who's not. So I think Priest can fill that role of athletic big guy who Priest actually has a pretty good handle on his character. Not to mention, let's be honest, Brandy Loren in that bikini in the hot tub later in the show, straight fucking fire. All right, Io Shirai retains the women's title over Dakota Kai. I did call this in my predictions. I do appreciate the fact that they tried to make Dakota mean a little bit more by giving her Raquel Gonzalez back, but I don't think it's viable for I, for Io to lose the title until she faces Candice LeRae because I do think that Candice is going to be the one to take the title off of Io. I like the fact that they are giving a little bit of focus to Dakota here because I do think that Dakota's a very good hand and somebody who I think that they could do a lot of stuff with still in NXT. I don't think that her run towards the top of the women's division in NXT is over, but I do feel like her and Tegan kind of staying together as Team Kick and going after the women's tag team titles would have made a little bit more sense for both since they don't seem to have a whole lot for Tegan right now, and obviously Dakota came up short to take over. Karrion Cross versus Keith Lee for the NXT title. Obviously, we know now why Keith Lee lost this match. It's because they were moving Keith Lee up to the main roster. Karrion Cross was exposed on Saturday night. Karrion Cross was not entertaining. It was not a very good match. I understand that Karrion got hurt, and I, I feel bad for him. That being said, I don't think the match was that good even before the injury, and I don't think that Cross's style works with the NXT style that people are familiar with. It reminds me a lot of when Bobby Roode was the NXT champion and Roode was having these kind of lengthy matches that for moments and stuff would drag. And I heard, I heard uh, one of my friends make the comparison that um, Karrion Cross and Bobby Roode are basically just entrances with not a, whole lot of, not a whole lot of stake to go with the sizzle. And so far, I can't disagree. The last thing that I want to talk about is the match that was in the middle of the card, but in my opinion was the best match on the show. And that is Pat McAfee and Adam Cole. And if Adam Cole didn't solidify himself as arguably the best wrestler in the WWE with this performance, I don't know what will do it. McAfee was amazing in his debut match, but let's be honest here. Adam Cole had a primary hand in getting McAfee through this match as well. Adam Cole has been somebody who has been carrying NXT, either as the heavyweight champion or as a part of the Undisputed Era now for four years. Three years? 16? 17 maybe? I think 16. And if it was 17, it's still three years. And the Undisputed Era has been a primary focus on the, on the NXT roster as well. McAfee showed a lot of talent. He was somebody who I would not mind seeing stick around as an active performer. The question is, is once the novelty of a Pat McAfee in the NXT ring is off, will he be able to back it up? Based on what I saw in this match with Adam Cole, my answer is yes. He sold very well. He had really good transitions. He's obviously got the mic skills to back it up. I mean, he does have a career in journalism. He is a professional broadcaster. And McAfee is somebody who I think could be an actual benefit to the company going forward. Overall, I get hit over an eight. The main event, once again, much like SummerSlam dragged it down for me. It has nothing to do with Keith Lee. I thought Keith Lee was excellent in his role. I do think that Karrion Cross, like I said a little earlier, got a bit exposed here, but I don't think he's quite ready for the spot that they're putting him in. Every other match on the takeover card delivered him. And I don't think that if you go back and watch it, um, especially if you're a fan of grappling such as I am, 
as any of the matches on the rest of the card will be anything lower than three, three and a half stars, which is exactly what you expect from an NXT TakeOver card. So I gave it an eight, and I'm looking forward to seeing the future of NXT, and I'm curious as to what's going to happen now that we have the reveal of Karrion Cross's separated shoulder in the main event as well at TakeOver. For Tony Acero and Liz Fuglisi, I'm Harry Broadhurst. You've been listening to The Reaction. It's taken the Chairshot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. I'm going blog talk, lady. Let me find the sound effect. Platt, send us out of here. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.